Thank you, church. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really enjoying uh, speaking out those truths together each week. These are, these are the things that are foundational to the church, not just here at King's, but all around the world, the church around the world. These are the, the things that unite us as a church, the great truths that we hold on to together. And today we're focusing on the line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I wonder, what do you think about when you think about the Holy Spirit? Just think to yourselves for a moment. What do you think about when you think about the Holy Spirit? See, my guess is there'll be many, many different responses to that question across this room. And this week, as I've mentioned to people that this is what I'm going to be speaking on, that I'm going to be speaking about the Spirit, I've had different reactions from people. So some people have said, oh, that's lovely. That's lo- There's a warmth in them towards the Spirit. For some people, they're excited, they're stirred about the Holy Spirit. But for some, you, you see a bit more hesitancy. Some people are more hesitant about the Spirit. And if that's you this morning, then I'll, I'll be honest, that's where I was a few years ago. So I grew up in a church that didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit. Or if they did talk about the Holy Spirit, I just wasn't listening, which is certainly possible. But my view of the Holy Spirit was sketchy, to say the least. And if you'd asked me at that time, do I believe in the Holy Spirit? I'm not really sure what I'd have said. See, I think we can be confused about the Holy Spirit. Even if we've been in church for years, I think we can be confused about the Spirit. Out of the three, Father, Son and Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit is the most difficult to get our heads around. See, in some ways we can kind of visualise Jesus because although he's fully God, he also came as fully man. He came like one of us and we can kind of get a picture of what he perhaps looked like. We kind of have an idea of Father because we get the concept of Father. We all have an experience of Father, whether that's good or bad or distant. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit somehow seems less easy to picture and less easy to hold on to. And if I'm really honest, when I first came to this church, I was nervous about the Holy Spirit. I was nervous about the Holy Spirit. I mean, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, he just sounds a bit kind of spooky. And things would start to happen in meetings and at conferences I went to. So people would laugh in the meeting and people would cry, people would shake, some people would fall over. And very wise people would say, well, that's the Holy Spirit. And, and I think, well, I don't really understand what that means. And in my head, I started to associate the Holy Spirit with all kinds of outward experiences. Why am I telling you that this morning? Well, I'm telling you that because it matters that we understand the Holy Spirit. It matters that we understand the Spirit. It matters, first of all, because he's God. But it matters too, because if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, there will be a huge gap between what we believe and how we live our lives. It matters because if we don't understand the Spirit, then there'll be things that we might feel God is asking us to do that we just feel completely under-equipped for. And it matters because when we really get who the Holy Spirit is, oh, what possibilities there are for our lives. So wherever you're at today, whether you've been in church your whole life, or whether this is your your first week here, whether you're excited about the Spirit, or whether you're hesitant about the Spirit, or whether, like some people in that video, you'd say, well, I've never really even thought about the Holy Spirit. Let's be open today to looking at what the Bible teaches about who the Holy Spirit is. So we're going to be in John 14. 
You can turn to it now if you've got a Bible. Do keep that open. We're going to stay in that passage. It'll be on the screen as well behind me in a moment. But before we look at this passage, I want to explain the context of it. This is part of a conversation between Jesus and his followers just before Jesus' death. And it's the moment where Jesus is explaining what's going to happen. And so I want you to imagine for a moment how those disciples must have felt. See, Jesus had called them to an entirely new life. He turned their lives upside down. And they'd left everything to follow him. They'd left their homes. They'd left their families. They'd left their livelihoods. And now Jesus is breaking the news to them that he's leaving. And that soon they will no longer see him. Those disciples would have been confused and they were scared and they were disillusioned. What could Jesus possibly say in this moment that would make this okay? Well, it's in this context that Jesus gives maybe his most comprehensive teaching on the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in John 14, verse 15 onwards. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for these words of comfort that you gave to your first disciples and these words of comfort that you give to us now. I pray that through the power of the Spirit we would understand these words, that we might know you better. We ask that, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at, I believe, in the Holy Spirit and we're going to focus in on three things that we mean when we say we believe in the Spirit. And the first is this, that we believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
So when Jesus talks about the Spirit in that passage, it is really clear that he's talking about a person. He's talking about a person. He says the world cannot accept him, the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And he says of the Spirit that he will teach you all things. This is the way you talk about a person. See, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or a feeling or an experience or a moment. He is a person. Elsewhere in scripture it says the spirit can be grieved, that he can be lied to, that he can be honoured, that the Holy Spirit loves and rejoices. You know, only a person can feel like this. The Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. So who is he? Who is he, the Holy Spirit? Well, he's God. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit. One God in three distinct persons living in harmonious, joyful relationship with each other. Just as the Father is eternal, just as the Son is eternal, the Spirit is eternal. So what is he like? Well, very, very simply put, he's like Jesus. Everything that Jesus is, the Spirit is too. Jesus is kind and generous and forgiving and humble and the Spirit is all those things. Jesus is powerful and zealous and wild and the Spirit is all those things too. See, what Jesus is promising his followers is this. He's promising that when he goes, the Father will send another who is just like him, who is just like Jesus. And notice that when Jesus is talking about the Spirit, he uses this word advocate. He refers to the Holy Spirit as an advocate. And the Greek word that this is translated from is the, is the word parakletos or paraclete. And it is a really, really rich word. And if you're reading this morning from your Bible and it's a different translation to the one that was on the screen, you'll probably see a different word there to the word advocate. So in the ESV version, you get the word helper, that the Spirit is the helper. In other translations, you get counsellor or comforter. Well, why are there so many different translations of this word? Well, it's because no single English word really does justice to this word paraclete. No, no word really sums up its meaning on its own. And if we just see the Spirit as one of these things, then we miss the richness of who he is and what he does. So is the Holy Spirit a helper? Well, yeah, he is a helper. He does help us, but he's not just kind of a personal assistant, someone to make our lives a little bit easier. The Holy Spirit is not Alexa. The Holy Spirit is a counsellor. He gives us counsel, he guides us, but he's not just there for therapy when we're feeling a bit down. Is he a comforter? Well, I did a Google image search for the word comfort, and once you get past all the pictures of fabric conditioner, you get things like duvets and sofas and slippers, things that make us feel kind of warm and cosy inside. Does the Spirit do that? Well, I think he does. I think he makes us feel warm inside, but it's more than that. You know, the original meaning of the word strength, comfort, sorry, is, is about strengthening, about giving us strength. That's what comfort really means, to give us strength. And that's more like what the Spirit does. But when you put all these different words together, that he's an advocate, a helper, a comforter, a counsellor, that's when you start to see what the Spirit is really all about. And that word paraclete really means to be called alongside. See, Jesus is really saying, I'm sending you one who is called alongside you to guide you and strengthen you and help you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I wonder, have you experienced that in your life? The Spirit guiding you, giving you guidance. 
The Spirit giving you courage and strengthening you. The Spirit helping you and giving you peace when perhaps in the situation you shouldn't really feel peace because of all the things going on, but the Holy Spirit gives you peace in that situation. It's what he's like. He's the advocate who comes alongside you to give you strength and peace and help. And notice that Jesus says the Father will give you another advocate. Another advocate. So who's our first advocate? Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus himself. See, in 1 John 2, John writes this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is our advocate. How is Jesus our advocate? Why do we even need an advocate? It's because we have a holy God. We heard last week that he's a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. And we all fall short. In the way we live, we fall short of the life that he created us for. We all sin. We all do things that are wrong and think things that are wrong and say things that are wrong. And every time we do, it's an affront against a holy God. And every time we do, we have an accuser, Satan, who will accuse us of those things. And he'll say, that's Rich Horn. He's done that thing again that that he did last week. Exactly the same sin. He sinned in exactly the same way. I have an accuser, Satan, who says those things. But my advocate, Jesus Christ, says, no, no, he's mine. He's mine because Jesus lived the life that I cannot live. And Jesus died on the cross so that I could be completely forgiven and set free. And I'm now pure in his sight. And you are too if you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your advocate before the Father in heaven. Because he he doesn't plead on the basis of your own record. He pleads on the basis of his perfect record. He's a wonderful advocate. Jesus is our first advocate. So how is the Holy Spirit our advocate? Well, the Spirit is our advocate because he points us to what Jesus has done. He reminds us of the truth of who we are in Christ. He reminds us of the great things that Jesus did for us on the cross and at the resurrection. He he reminds us of the victory that Jesus has won for us. So as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we spend time with other Christians, the Spirit points us towards Jesus so that we can see him more clearly. Do you know, the Spirit is wonderfully humble in this. Because the Holy Spirit is never interested in drawing attention to himself. He's always interested in drawing attention to Jesus. J.I. Packer, a theologian, calls this the Holy Spirit's floodlight ministry. His floodlight ministry. I like this because when something is floodlit, like a building or an event, the point isn't the floodlights. You're not supposed to really see the the floodlights. What you're meant to notice is the thing that those floodlights are trained on. The floodlights are there to light up that thing. Because without, without the floodlights, you wouldn't see him for the darkness. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. He never says, look at me. He always says, look at him. Look at Jesus. Look what he's done for you. Wonder at what he's done for you. Marvel at what he's done for you. Gaze at him. Enjoy Jesus. See, the Spirit makes Jesus visible to us, where otherwise we wouldn't see him for the darkness. The Spirit highlights Jesus to us. And that's what you see when you read the history of our church. I don't know if you know the history of our church, but it began as a small group meeting up in Hazelmere, not far from where our Hazelmere site is now. And one by one, this small group of people began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And this is how Frank Matthews, who is very much the pioneer of King's Church, here's how he describes that moment. He says, I was still Frank, but Jesus was now so wonderful, precious, and glorious. I forgot about the Spirit and worshipped Jesus. What happy days these were. We were as free as the air and thrilled with the Lord Jesus. See, that's what the Spirit does. He loves to do that. He loves to point us to Jesus. He highlights Jesus for us. And you know, all over the world right now, Jesus is being glorified in different churches, in different nations. People are praising him in song. People are praying out to him. People are preaching about him. And as they do that, the Spirit is at work pointing people towards Jesus and making the reality of what he has done real for people today. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what the person of the Holy Spirit does. He highlights Jesus for us. He points us to the victorious work of Jesus on our behalf. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we're saying, I believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we're saying, I believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, God longs to live among his people. He loves to be among his people. This is one of the big stories of the Bible, this story of a faithful God who makes a way to live among his people. You see it right from the first pages. He's there with Adam and Eve. They're walking in the garden of the call of the day. They're walking with the Lord. And there's this intimacy and this closeness and this presence of God. But when Adam and Eve rebel against God, it's his presence they're barred from because sinful people cannot live in the presence of a holy God. But you see, our God will make a way for his people to be with him. And you get this right through the Bible. In the book of Exodus, you get God rescuing his people from slavery and he rescues them so they can be in relationship with him. And God instructs his people to build this huge tabernacle, this tent, this meeting place where he can come and dwell. But you see, there's still a problem because people are still sinful and God is still holy. But God will make a way for his people to be with him. And years later, Jesus comes. This is God living as a human being. And God can now be seen and touched and walked with. And one day, the ultimate promise is that Jesus will return, that he'll come back and have relationship with his people. But Jesus says that even now, Even before I come back, even now that I've ascended to be with my Father in heaven, even now you can know my presence. Why? Because I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. I will come to you and make my home in you. I will not leave you as orphans. See, the extraordinary promise of the Holy Spirit is that God now dwells in us. He now dwells in us, in ordinary people like you and me. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be part of a church, that God makes his home in us. Isn't that remarkable? And you know, later in John's Gospel, the same conversation with his disciples, chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, actually, it's for your good that I'm going away. You're going to be better off with me gone than than you are with me here. Can you believe that? You can almost hear them thinking, well, how, Jesus? How can this possibly be for our good? If you're going to go, how can this be for our good? What could be better than walking with you, Jesus? What could be better than learning from you and living with you and going on mission with you and loving people with you? 
And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying the mission hasn't changed. And he's saying you'll still have me. You'll still do this stuff. I'll still be present with you through the person of the Holy Spirit. But now my ministry is not restricted to a certain time and a certain place. Now my ministry can be carried on over the entire world at all times. And you will, you will experience the presence of God within you. And that's what happened for the followers of Jesus. After Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, his followers wait and pray. And then they're all together in one place and a sound like a blowing wind comes from heaven and fills the house. And they see what look like tongues of fire resting on them. And all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. What a moment of joy that must have been for those followers of Jesus. I wonder if they remember back to that promise Jesus made that I will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. For them, surely it was like Jesus had returned. Do you know, Jesus has not left us alone in this life. He has not left us alone. And that means that even in our moments of deepest loneliness and fear and disillusionment, we are never truly on our own. We have the presence of God living in us. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I'm in bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. See, through the Holy Spirit living in us, we can experience God. We get to experience God. You know, not that we overplay experience, not that we focus too much on the external things like laughing and crying as people are filled with the Spirit, but also that we don't underplay the role of experience either. Because there is an experience of being loved by the Father that God wants all of his followers, including you, to have. See, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. We can know that in our heads. We can know in our heads, can't we, that we're part of his family that we're children of God. But it's one thing to know it with our heads. It's another thing to know in our hearts that we are loved, deeply loved by God. And so he promises to fill us with the Holy Spirit. I wonder, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you had that experience of knowing deep down that you're loved by God? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you you going on being filled with the Holy Spirit? Becky, about our Hazelmere site, I've been a follower of Jesus for a few years. But she was going through a really tough time. And then one Sunday morning in church, she made a decision just to worship Jesus in spite of what she was going through, to praise him. And she was filled powerfully with the Holy Spirit in that meeting, speaking in tongues for the first time. She hadn't asked for it. She hadn't asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She was just worshiping Jesus And he filled her with the Holy Spirit. And she said to me, I spoke to her about it on Friday, she said to me that that moment was the moment where it went from her head to her heart. When she really knew that she was deeply loved, when she was a child of God. I wonder, have you had that? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And the Bible instructs us to go on. It says in Ephesians 5.18 that we're to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's more that God has for you this morning. Do you believe that? There's more that God has for you. So let's not grow tired of asking to be filled with the Spirit. Let's be thirsty. We're going to make space for that at the end of the meeting today. And when we do, let's be open to receiving prayer to be filled with the Spirit. He loves you. He wants you to experience his presence, to know deep down that you are loved by him. The Spirit makes God personally present to us. 
See, to say we believe in the Holy Spirit is to say we believe in the person of the Spirit, that we, that we believe in the presence of the Spirit, and also that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if what Jesus says about the Spirit is true, then it ought to make a difference to our lives. It ought to make a difference to our lives. Here's what Francis Chan church leader in America says about this. He says, if you or I had never been to church and had only ever read the Old and New Testaments, we would have significant expectations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We would expect our new life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different from our old life without him. See, that's challenging, isn't it? Jesus' disciples were wonderfully ordinary people. I love how ordinary they were. See, Peter was a guy who was full of fear. When a servant girl accused uh, Peter of being with Jesus, Peter just panicked and he denied everything. And they were, see, they were ordinary people. They were fearful, ordinary men. They were unschooled, they were ordinary, and they were unimpressive. And that is completely the point. Because it was when the Holy Spirit came that everything changed. When the Holy Spirit came, suddenly Peter had a great boldness and a great courage. And he got up and he preached to a huge crowd that was gathered about what Jesus had done and who he was. And Peter saw 3,000 people baptised and added to the church in one day, in one moment. Many of the other disciples were willing to die for the gospel. See, the book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit continuing the work of Jesus through empowering ordinary people to do courageous and risk-filled things. To be on a mission together. To partner with the Holy Spirit to go and love the world that God had placed them in. Why did the Father send the Spirit? It was so that the church would be empowered for mission. For mission to go and love the people that God has placed in our lives. In the passage I read earlier, Judas asks a really interesting question. He says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? I think that's a great question. Because, you know, we might be tempted to ask the same thing. Jesus, if you love this world, why don't you just make yourself known to people? Why don't you make yourself known to them to show them that you love them? But here's the really interesting thing. See, Jesus had shown himself to the world. Jesus had appeared to people, probably thousands of people. And yet by the time of the day of Pentecost, when the followers were filled with the Holy Spirit, the number of believers was at about 120. It says that in the book of Acts. But then Peter... This ordinary fisherman gets up to speak and 3,000 people are added to the church in one moment. Can you, isn't that remarkable? Isn't that incredible? Can it really be that the, the way that God has chosen to reach this world, the way that God has chosen to show his love to people is through ordinary people like you and me? Not in our own strength, but full of the Holy Spirit. See, the Father gives us the Spirit for mission. That is what the church has always been about. And he's still doing that today. So Alan Edmondson, many of you will know him. You might have heard this story a couple of weeks ago. Alan was out on Desborough Road and he saw a man struggling to walk. Walking almost at right angles because of the pain in his back. And as Alan walked past this man, he heard the spirit say to him, are you not going to pray for him then? So Alan did. He prayed for this man and He prayed this lovely prayer, Jesus, show this man your love for him. Touch him and heal him. 
And as he prayed that prayer, this man's body straightened up and he was healed in that moment. And he went away full of joy and shocked. But that's the Holy Spirit empowering ordinary people for mission. Andy, Andy Lamb was at home one night and suddenly found himself thinking about someone he hadn't seen or thought about for more than 10 years. A guy who'd been in a really, really bad way. And suddenly thinking about him, wondering how he was, he started to pray for him. And the next day, Andy felt compelled to go for a walk. And he felt like the spirit leading him to a certain place in Huendon Park. And he, he just kept following, didn't really know where he was going, but feeling led by the spirit. And he bumped into this man who he'd started thinking about the night before. This man who he'd begun praying for the night before. And they chat and Andy's able to tell this man, I'm, I'm praying for you. Able to ask how he is and get involved in his life again. What's that about? Well, that's the Holy Spirit empowering people for mission. Ordinary people like you and me. I remember a few years ago being out in Kathmandu in Nepal on a mission trip with some of our young people from this church, 16 and 17 year olds. And they get up in Ratna Park in the middle of Kathmandu amongst people. They've got no idea who they are. And this crowd gathers, a crowd up to about 80 to 100 people. And these young 16, 17 year olds tell the story of what Jesus has done in their lives. What empowers a 16 or 17 year old to stand there in a park in Kathmandu and share what Jesus has done in their lives? That's the Holy Spirit empowering ordinary people for mission. See, God doesn't just give us the Holy Spirit so we can enjoy him on a Sunday morning. And that's a lovely thing. It's a wonderful privilege and a great experience to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to experience the fact that he knows us and loves us, that we're his children. But he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can go and love this world. He empowers us for mission. Do you want to be caught up in that mission? Don't we all want to be caught up in that mission of Jesus to go and love and serve this world? See, when Jesus comforts his disciples before his death in all their fear and disillusionment and confusion, he's really saying, no, no, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Because I'm going to send another advocate to help you and guide you and empower you and strengthen you. It was to continue the work that Jesus had begun. How will the Holy Spirit do that? Well, the Holy Spirit will do that by making the truth about Jesus so real to us that we cannot stop living for him, that we can't get enough of him, and that we cannot stop talking about him with people. That's the mission he's called us into, to go and love and serve this world. And so the question I want to leave you with today is this. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the person of the Spirit? The person who stands alongside you as your advocate to point you to the truth of who Jesus is. Do you believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that God has promised to fill you with his Spirit and keep on filling you with his Holy Spirit? And do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us today and that he wants us full of that power to go and love and serve this world? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Why don't we pray? Father God, what an adventure you've called us into. What a great call you put on our lives. What an exciting adventure you've called us into. But what a great promise that you've given us. That we have the advocate, the person of the Holy Spirit alongside us, filling us. 
that we might live for you. Help us, Lord, we pray. Where there are barriers that stand in the way of us being open to you, Lord, remove what you're doing us today and for the rest of our lives. We ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.